Hello, and welcome to The Good Night Show with me, Daniel Van Kirk. It's Wednesday, August 19th, around 12 a.m., Rochelle, Illinois time, and I am glad that you are here. As always, I'm joined by my producer and my friend, Noah Eberhardt. Noah, welcome to the show. Good night to you, Daniel. Good night to you. I know we're a couple of weeks away, but I, I still want to get excited about the holidays. Have Have you thought about any way that you are like are going to do anything fun for Labor Day weekend? It's a couple Ooh, of weeks I away. Haven't thought that far ahead yet. I guess I probably should. Maybe you should plan a um, little picnic. Yes, yes. Uh, for my birthday, Dan and Rory got me an awesome picnic backpack that is insulated, so you can. Put a bunch of food in there. There's it has a blanket all your, in there. It has all the utensils too, I think, right? Yes, it has all the plates, utensils, and also a little book of uh, picnic recipes. So that was awesome. It was oh, a very thoughtful gift. Thank I'm you glad again. You like it. Yeah, that was a week ago already. Um, but I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad you like it, and I hope that I, I told you this when we gave it to you that uh, maybe you can uh, plan some sort of like you know social distance. Go out to where you have your own space. Do a little um, uh, picnic, whether as a date uh, or for uh, just yourself. But then maybe someday when we get all you know concerts going at the Hollywood Bowl, I think it'll be great for that too, or even like a beach day. So uh, I hope I hope you dig it. I'm glad you like it, and I hope we all find a way to have a fun Labor Day weekend. But my family. And I know I'm saying this weeks before, but I don't care. I'm excited. That's also my show. Um, we always would go to the Brat Fest. I've mentioned it. Uh, I think I mentioned it last week. But we would always go to the Brat Fest in, um, or maybe it was this week. I don't remember. <laughs> When's what? Um, in Harrisville, Wisconsin. And uh, it was super, super fun. So uh, let's dig in to this show. Before we do that, I want to remind you, you can become a part of the show. Yeah, you can send me positive stories, sex and relationship advice questions, recommendations for things to read and watch, or you can even do what someone did today. You could send me a mystery. If it's great, I like it. If we feel like it works for the show, it may just end up being a mystery that we do. And that's what happened today. So many ways that you can contribute and be in good standing as a good night gang member. Um, Yeah. The way you do that, though, is you text me. You leave me a voicemail by hitting up the number 609-955. That's 609-644-4855 or email the goodnightpod at gmail.com. This weekend, I know I was talking about Labor Day weekend, but we have something this weekend and even the weekend after that, we have game nights. Yeah, you can be in the audience for a standard game night or you can even hit up the uh, DanielVanKirk.com to be a part of Bingo Night. That's on the 29th at 7 o'clock Rochelle time. And don't forget, you can also go to Daniel Van Kirk if you want to be a part of the live pen pals or just let us know, hey, maybe you missed out on this one or you can't make it, but you definitely want to get a spot in the next live pen pals. The one we're doing uh, next, though, the the one that's going to happen soon is on Friday, August 28th at 6 p.m. So if you want to hang out with me and Rory, go to DanielVanKirk.com. Okay. We have a mystery. We switch it up on Wednesdays. And this mystery was recommended by a listener from the 415 area code. That's it. All you have to do, you could just say, check out this mystery, look into it. We here will then um, dig into it. And by we, I mean probably Lissa. 
but any of us can if we see that email we will check it out and see if it fits for the show and would that's the best so i have no idea what it is i haven't even read this i'm going in blind because sometimes i think that's fun although it also means that there's a lot of stuff i i end up screwing up the pronunciation of but who cares the sources for this come from the gardner museum you can check that out at gardnermuseum.org also from wikipedia and this is the Isabel Stewart Gardner Museum heist. Let's just dig in. On March 18th, 1990, two thieves, disguised as policemen or police persons or cops, broke into a Boston art museum, tied up a guard, and stole 13 paintings right off the walls. The infamous Isabel Stewart Gardner Museum heist has since been hailed as one of the most devastating thefts of private property in art history. Decades later, $500 million worth of masterpieces, Rembrandt's, Vermeer's, and sketches by Degas. Noah, is that how you say that? I think it's Degas. It is? See, I've never seen that name in my life. Um, Are still missing. In the aftermath of the heist, authorities considered a complex web of suspects, but the investigation ultimately failed to pin the crime on anyone in particular. So, here's what happened. The robbery occurred in the early hours of Sunday, March 18, 1990. The thieves were first witnessed around 12.30 a.m. by several St. Patrick's Day revelers leaving a party near the museum. The two men were disguised as police officers and parked in a hatchback on Palace Road, about 100 feet from the side entrance. The witnesses believed them to be policemen. The guards. The museum guards on duty that night were Rick Abath, or Abath, Abath, whatever you want to do, age 23, and Randy Heston, age 25. Abath was a regular night watchman and was Heston's, or Heston's, first, and it was Heston's first time, first time on the night shift. The security policy maintained that one guard patrolled the galleries with a flashlight and a walkie-talkie while the other sat at the security desk. A bath went on patrol first. During his patrol, fire alarms sounded off in different rooms in the museum, but he could not locate any fire or smoke. He then, that's a bath, returned to the security room where the fire alarm control panel indicated smoke in multiple rooms. He assumed some type of malfunction and shut down the panel. Guys, it's the first rule of any heist. You want to make them think there's a malfunction. He went back on patrol and before he completed his rounds, made a quick stop at the side entrance of the museum, briefly opening the side door and shutting again. He did not tell Heston he was doing this or why. Abath completed his tour and returned to the security desk around 1 a.m., at which point Heston began his rounds. At 1.20 a.m., the thieves drove up to the side entrance, parked, and walk up to, walked up to the side door. They rang the buzzer, which connected them to a bath through an intercom. They explained to a bath that they were police investigating a disturbance and needed to be buzzed in. A bath could see them in the closed-circuit television wearing what appeared to be real police uniforms. He was not aware of any disturbance, but theorized that... As it was St. Patrick's Day, perhaps a reveler had climbed over the fence and someone had seen and reported it. Abath then let the men in at 1.24 a.m. It's weird because if they had anything to do with the fire alarms, they could have just said that they were firemen, I guess, which would have required them to um, 
have a fire have truck. a fire truck, you know, and all that, or an, at least an, an ambulance, or, or even they could have stolen like one of those uh, like fire department chief trucks, which tend to just be mm-hmm. like an F one fifty or a Silverado. But also, let's say that they w- we're going to stick with the cop thing. They could say, uh, "Yeah, we know you had a couple fire calls." Um, that actually goes directly into our dispatch and the fire department said there was no fire here. So we are, we are asked to just come check it out. Like they could have, it seems weird that they wouldn't act like they were related to it. If they actually were anyway, the thieves were let into a locked foyer that separated the side door from the museum. They approached a bath at his desk and asked if anyone else was in the museum and to bring them down a bath radioed Heston to return to the security desk. A bath noticed do you think it's Abbott? I'm going to go Abbott from here on out. Abbott noticed around this time that the mustache on the taller man appeared fake. Why would you go fake mustache? The shorter man told Abbott that he looked familiar, that they, that they may have a warrant for his arrest and to come out from behind his desk and provide identification, which legally, everyone, you don't have to do. Abbott complied, stepping away from the desk where the only panic button to alert police was. The shorter man forced Abbott against a wall, spread his legs, and handcuffed him. Abbott noticed he was not frisked. That's when you started being like, this doesn't feel right. He didn't even frisk me. Heston, which is probably he stand, but whatever. Heston walked into the room around this time, and the trail and the taller thief turned him around and handcuffed him. Once both guards were handcuffed, the thieves revealed their two na- the, the, their true intentions. I almost said true nature. Like, we're mean. Their true intentions and robbed the museum and asked the guards to not give them any problems. I hope they did it in a very sincere way. The thieves wrapped duct tape around the heads and eyes of the guards. That's mean. Also not needed. Without asking for directions... They led the guards into the basement where they were handcuffed to a steam pipe and workbench. The thieves examined the wallets of the guards and explained that they know where they live and not to tell authorities anything and that they will get a reward in about a year. It took the thieves 11 minutes to subdue the guards. It is now about 1.35 a.m. in the course of this burglary. Here's the weird thing. Not tell authorities. Tell authorities what? Like... They're these two, they obviously did a very good job. Okay. So I'm not, I can't hate on their like uh, art stealing game, but they also seem like idiots because what somebody's going to come in the next day, realize there's no security guard, finally go down to the basement, see them like all duct taped and handcuffed up, handcuffed up to a pipe and then be like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, oh, this is just something we do at night. And it, it, it went wrong and we weren't able to get out. Like, also, uh, there are, the paintings are still here. And they're like, no, they were still like, no, they're still here. Like, they can't not say something to authorities. Here's the artwork that we know was taken. I believe that's where it's going next. The thieves' move, movements through the museum were recorded on infrared motion detectors. They entered the Dutch room on the second floor at 1.48 a.m. This was 13 minutes after they finished subduing the guards, perhaps waiting to make sure no police were alerted. Why would you wait? 
As the thieves approached the paintings in the Dutch room, a device began beeping that would normally trip when a patron was too close to a painting. The thieves smashed it. They took Storm on the Sea of Galilee and a lady and a gentleman in black and threw them on the marble floor, which shattered their glass frames. Using a blade, they cut the canvases out of the stretchers. They also removed a large Rembrandt self-portrait oil painting from the wall, but left it leaning against a cabinet. Investigators believe they may have considered it too large to transport, potentially because it was painted on wood, not a more durable canvas like the others. Instead, the thieves took a small postage stamp-sized self-portrait etching by Rembrandt on display beneath the larger portrait. On the right side of the room, they removed landscape with obelisk, obelisk I'm sorry, and the concert from their frames. The final piece was taken from the taken from the room was an ancient Chinese gu, which is a bronze vase-like vessel. At 1.51 a.m., they entered a, nar- a narrow hallway dubbed the Short Gallery, and on the other end of the second floor, uh, which was on the other end of the second floor, and began removing screws for a frame displaying a Napoleonic flag, likely an effort to steal the flag, you think? They appeared to have given up partway through as not all the screws were removed and ultimately only took the exposed eagle finial atop the flagpole. They also took five... What did you say this was, Noah? Dega? Dega. Yeah. They also took five Dega sketches. You know what? The second time, it's like, yeah, I've heard of that artist, but I've never had to read it. They also took five Dega sketches from the room. The last work stolen was a Che Tortoni from the blue room on the first floor. The museum's motion detectors did not detect any motion within the blue room during the thieves' time in the building. I want to tell you guys, I have a good appreciation when things are written phonetically. As they prepared to leave, the thieves checked on the guards one last time and asked if they were comfortable. (laughs) Just checking. They then moved to the security director's office where they took the video cassettes that recorded their entrance on the closed circuit cameras and the data printouts from the motion detecting equipment. The movement data was still captured on a hard drive, which remained untouched. The frame for the Shea Tortoni, I'm trying, was left at the security director's desk. The thieves then moved to take the artwork out of the museum. The side entrance doors were opened at 2.40 a.m. And again, for the last time at 2.45 a.m., the robbery lasted 81 minutes. But I think that includes their whole waiting around time. The next shift of guards arrived later in the morning and realized something was amiss. No shit. When they could not establish contact with anyone to be let inside, they called in a security director who, upon entering the building with his keys, found nobody at the watch desk and called police. The police searched the building until they found the guards still tied in the basement. I hope we find out if they get their reward. In total, 13 works were stolen. In 1990, the FBI estimated the value of the hall at $200 million and raised this estimate to $500 million by 2000 because guys invest in art. Even when stolen, it appreciates. The concert by Dutch painter Vermeer, one of only 34 paintings attributed to him, accounts for half the hall's value, estimated at $250 million in 2015. Experts believe it may be the most, most valuable stolen object in the world. Another item taken was a 10-inch tall French imperial eagle, uh, a finial, 
from the corner of a framed photo. We already know this. I read it. There is a $100,000 reward for information leading to the return of just that piece alone. As Gardner's will decreed nothing in her collection should be moved, the empty frames for the stolen paintings remain hanging in their respective locations as a museum placeholders for their potential return. Because of the museum's low funds and lack of insurance policy, not smart, the director solicited the, solicited the help from Sotheby, Sotheby's and Christie's auction houses to post a reward of $1 million within three days. This was increased to $5 million in 1997 because rewards appreciate. In 2017, it was doubled to $10 million with an expiration date set for the end of the year. This reward was extended following an outpouring of tips from the public. It is the largest bounty ever offered by a private institution. Um. We are 18 minutes in, and we're reading a lot. The reward of the information leads directly to the recovery of all their items in good condition. All of them? That seems like you're asking a little much. Federal prosecutors have stated that anyone who willingly returns the items will not be prosecuted. The statute of limitations expired in 1995 as well, so the thieves and anyone who participated in the theft cannot be prosecuted. Then why would they even care? Like, why give them back? By now... You're good. You're in the clear, at least from a legal standpoint of being arrested. Okay. Uh, it looks like this is going to be a long episode. That's okay. Here we go. Investigation. The eclectic mix of items has puzzled experts. While some of the paintings were valuable, the thieves passed other valuable works by Raphael, Botticelli, and Michelangelo and left them undisturbed, opting to take relatively valueless items like the goo and the finial. I don't know, 100 grand. I mean, I'm sure by comparison, but... Leads have gone hot and cold since 1990, though in more recent years, the FBI has zeroed in on a local band of thieves, many now dead, well, that's how thieves are, with ties to mafia families in New England and Philadelphia. In 2013, authorities were quite confident about the identity of the thieves, but did not reveal them as they believed to be deceased and the statute of limitations has expired. At this point, the enduring investigation has less to do with the incarceration and everything to do with retrieving the missing masterpieces. That said, anyone found a connection to the Gardner heist or loss of works could still face some charges. Well, which way is it? Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will run through the persons of interest and um, wrap this up. Hey, Goodnight Gang member. I know that's like the nicest, friendliest gang I think we can be in, hopefully. Or at least the one you would enjoy the most. Well, I want to tell you about something else you might enjoy. I am now on Cameo. Yeah, I did it. And why did I do it? Because I like being able to send direct messages, video messages, to people who enjoy what I do. So, if you have someone in your life that you want to send a birthday wish to, because hopefully they're a fan of mine, that'd be crazy if you have me do one for your aunt and she doesn't even know me but that's also totally fine i'll do it or you just need me to tell someone in your life to help clean up this house i'll do that too or maybe you just want some encouragement yourself being like hey dan this is something i'm dealing with right now would love to get your thoughts and if you can help cheer me up or think about it in a different way i would love to have a video of that 
Well, now you can. All you have to do is go to Cameo, search for me, Daniel Van Kirk, or I have like a link tree, which is in my Twitter profile and my Instagram profile, as well as it's probably up at DanielVanKirk.com. You can find my Cameo there is what I'm trying to say. I will get the message to you right away. I don't think I've taken more than 24 hours for any of the ones that I've already done. It's also a really cool way for me to meet more of you. So let me know what you would like me to make a video about. Maybe tell me where you are or where the person that I'm sending this to were there. Any information you can give me is just going to make it all that much more fun. And it doesn't have to be something just like a birthday or an anniversary. Anything at all that you think it would be cool to have me make a message to you or to somebody you care about or maybe somebody you don't. Like I'll let your boyfriend know like, hey, I'm afraid it's not working out and you need to start focusing on this, these few things to make him or her happy or them. If you're in a throuple, I'll talk to both of them. Just let me know. Just go to cameo.com and uh, yeah, hit me up. All right. Are you looking for a way to let everyone know that you're serious about social distancing, staying safe and being smart, but you want to look good at the same time? Check out Real Day Design. They have a variety of shirt styles that look and feel great while also sending the message that you care about your health and you care about the people around you. Choose from a short sleeve or long sleeve tee, crew neck sweatshirt, or even a football jersey style t-shirt. Any option is perfect for looking good and feeling comfortable in your own home or on a walk. But letting people know you are part of the social distancing club doesn't just have to be worn. You can show everyone in your Zoom meeting where your priorities lie with a social distancing club coffee mug. So quarantine but make it fashion by visiting Real Day Design online at bonfire.com slash store slash real hyphen day hyphen design hyphen co. Again, that's Real Day Design online. Just go to bonfire.com and search for Real Day Design. All right, we're back. The first person, of course, is Rick Abbott, right? Abbott was investigated early on because of his suspicious behavior on the night of the theft. When on his patrol, Abbott briefly opened and shut a side door, a move which some believe could have been a signal to the thieves parked outside. Abbott told authorities that he did this routinely to ensure the door was locked. One of Abbott's colleagues told journalists that if Abbott had opened the door routinely as he maintained, supervisors would have seen it on computer printouts and put a stop to it. Well, you're assuming that other people are doing their job. More suspicion has been drawn from the museum's motion detectors, which did not detect any movement in the blue room during the 81 minutes the thieves were in the museum. The only footsteps in the room that night were Abbott's during his security patrol. A security consultant reviewed the motion detector equipment several weeks after the theft and determined that they were operating correctly. Abbott maintains his innocence, and the FBI agent overseeing the case in its early years determined the guards were too incompetent and foolish to have pulled off the crime. No reason to be mean. In 2015, the FBI released security video from the museum on the night before the theft, showing Abbott, Abbott buzzing in an unidentified man into the museum to converse at the security desk. Abbott told investigators he could not recall the incident or recognize the man, and so the FBI requested the pu public's assistance. Several former museum guards came forward and said the stranger was Abbott's boss, the museum's deputy security chief. Here's another one. This is a little bit more uh, sensational. Whitey Bulger. Whitey Bulger was one of the most powerful crime bosses in Boston during the era. Head, heading the 
Winter Hill Gang. He claimed he did not organize the heist and, in fact, sent his agents out in an attempt to determine who did because the robbery was committed on his turf and he wanted to be paid tribute. FBI agent Thomas McShane investigated Bulger for his involvement. He determined that Bulger's strong ties with the Boston police could explain how the thieves acquired legitimate police uniforms or perhaps that real police were arranged to do the heist. McShane's investigation of Bulger and the IRA did not produce any evidence to tie them to the theft. Another suspect or person of interest is the Merlino gang. Marlino's associates may have gained knowledge of the museum's weaknesses after gangster Louis Royce uh, cased it as early as 1981. He devised plans with an associate to light up smoke bombs and rush the galleries amidst the confusion. Dude, you, had, you could have used 81 minutes. You didn't need to rush anything. In 1982, when undercover FBI agents were investigating Royce for his associate. Uh, and his associates for unrelated art theft. They learned of their interest in robbing robbing the Gardner Museum and warned the museum of the gang's plan. Royce was in prison at the time of the robbery. Royce shared his plan with others and believes associate Stephen Rossetti may have ordered the robbery and shared it with someone else. The whole thing about stealing art, though, is you got to be able to sell it, which takes a whole other like type of connection. There's another person named Robert Gentile, One such character the police have focused on over the years is used car salesman and petty criminal named Robert Gentile. Gentile was incarcerated in 2018 for 54 months on weapons charges. He alleges the charges were fabricated by the FBI as a part of a years-long strategy to threaten incarceration against him and make him talk about the Gardner heist. Since he first became a person of interest in 2010, Gentile has maintained he knows nothing about the theft. A widow of one of Gentile's mob associates, Boston gangster Rob Garante, told agents she witnessed her late husband hand off one of the stolen paintings from Gentile. Investigators believe Garante likely received the paintings from the thieves themselves. Gentile told a Boston-based newspaper that he and Garante were close friends, but even authorities found some incriminating, incriminating evidence. After a 2012 search, Gentile denied knowing anything about the theft. In his home, FBI agents found police hats, badges, $20,000 in cash, a sizable collection of weaponry, and a list of stolen gardener pieces with their potential black market prices listed beside. That feels wow. pretty credible. He was yeah. given a polygraphy, uh, or took a polygraph test, um, which who cares, which concluded that there's a 99.9% chance that Gentile was lying about his innocence. Doesn't matter. They're never admissible in court. His imprisonment on unrelated charges involving weapons did little to glean any new and incriminating information from him regarding the Gardner heist. Gentile was released on March 2019 due to good behavior after serving 35 months of his sentence. He is, however, not in good health. It remains to be seen whether the wheelchair-bound petty gangster has information that may finally help authorities solve the baffling case of Gardner's heist. Uh, I know we went a little long here. and We're not done yet because I, I obviously have to comment on this, but I don't think that dude's going to say shit. Also, yeah. why would he at this point? What It's not like... I understand people's deathbed. They want to say like what happened to people that they victimized because that's like human lives out there. You may have some sort of like, but like are like, there's no artists out here being like, that was my work. And 
no one like i'm not it is wrong but like i don't even care about art i I would love if they found it it deserves to like be in a museum said indiana jones but at the same time like i don't know i'm okay with people putting their resources into other things the other thing too though is like if you steal multi-million dollar black market art I'm going to assume you really love it because you can't even show it to people. Like it's only for you to look at. So it doesn't even like, yeah, I bet it's like a kind of like a power move. It's like, yeah, but you don't even get to tell what most people who are power hungry have, have no care for it if they can't wield it. So like, even if you have the power to own it, it does nothing for that ego part of you because you can't tell anybody you have it. Therefore, you can't indicate your power to anyone. Right. It's so weird. <laughs> you bought something meant to be displayed that you can't display. It's it's like it, to me it's like good for you I guess. You have a lot of money and connections to people who do bad things. Uh but also like you suck at owning art. Because you, you don't even get to show yeah. it. Like, it's dumb crime. I wonder if some people also might see it as a way to, like, instead of holding, like, liquid assets, okay, I'm going to turn my... But then, you but know, then what? You, you have to sell it for pennies on the dollar. Well, if you sell it, you could still sell it, probably sell it back on the black market. I know, but I'm saying, but you're not, not even for what it's worth. Uh, yes, yeah. if something's valued at $250 million, it's nice to get 125 yeah. Yeah, it's very strange. I wonder I really wonder where all that is. It just art seems like right such now. a dead end crime it's very to weird. me. Like you steal Maybe money turn up. and don't and get away with it. You can like like D B Cooper, like you can go do stuff with that. You stole something that is, yes, beautiful, but like for whose enjoyment? Barely even your own. Because you can't even have it out in your house. I bet someday it'll at least like one of these just pieces will turn up and we'll yeah. we'll, we'll because it happens a lot, like pieces go missing and then they're found decades or even hundreds of years later. So yeah, because you know. like if you own it and then you die, right, and your kids have it and they're not criminals, they might be like, yeah, "Well, let's just it, give like, this Wait, back." What is this? <laughs> yeah, and then be like, "Okay," and then nobody's going to be mad at them. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> Wild mystery. Also, kind of feels like we pretty much know who did it, but it was still cool. Tonight's episode of The Good Night Show was produced by Noah Everhart. It was engineered and mixed by Brendan Lynch-Solomon with production assistance from Lissa Rubin. The theme music was composed by Chad Bouchard. The artwork was created by CM Dugan. Check him out at cmdugan.com. If you enjoyed tonight's show, specifically one like this, you can get more just like it at patreon.com slash the goodnight show. You can sign up for the Goodnight Show Weekend Edition. And like I said, exclusive weekly episodes where you get stuff like this, mysteries, and when they don't drop in the regular feed, that is. Also, you can get a super cut of this entire week's worth of shows, as well as access to the entire back catalog of the Hindsight Podcast. There are three Patreon tiers available. The most comprehensive option is less than 10 bucks a month. And The Good Night Show is not part of any network, which means all proceeds go directly to the cost and people that keep this show on the air. Your support matters and is greatly appreciated. One simple way to support is to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and just tell everyone you know about this little show. Thank you again for listening. I'm Daniel Van Kirk. And remember, no man is a failure who has friends. Good night.